Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and boy, oh boy, do I have a great show. I love this show. We've got uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman coming on in just a minute. We're going to talk about marriage. I, I always give Brent the option. I go, Brent, what do you want to talk about? He goes, marriage. I go, okay. What passage? He goes, Ephesians 5, 22 and 20, 33. I go, okay. That's going to be fun. And then Bev Canaris is going to come in. I've been wanting to talk for a couple of sessions on finishing well. I think it's important that we start uh, focusing on keeping the end in sight, regardless of what age you are, because it's important to always finish well. And if you've got things on your plate, like the need to forgive, uh, reconcile, um, all that stuff, that ends up uh, being an important piece of finishing well. We're going to talk to her about that as well from a biblical standpoint, of course. And then I've got uh, Dr. Tim Walsh, his uh, response that I got from him when he was on regarding what to do post-pandemic. I got such a big response and so many people asked if they could hear it again. So we're going to have that as a replay in hour two. So that's what is on schedule for today. Uh, Brent Kuhlman is pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. He comes on the show pretty regularly when I call. I always appreciate him. Brent, welcome. Hey, Brent. Hi, Bill. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You're all back from your vacation, nice and fresh and ready to go. You betcha. I love this passage in Ephesians. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord just to get things started. That's a, that's a, that's a loaded thing, isn't it, today in America? <laughs> in 2021, that's a, that'd be a little controversial. But yeah, that's right. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. <laughs> that's right. Uh, submit. That's a, that's a huge word in the Bible, and it's not just applied to wives. It's applied to citizens in Romans. Uh, it applies to parents and children. Children are submit or to honor their father and mother. Uh, So just real quickly, to submit means to order yourself under your husband or to order your life in a certain way as wife to your husband. You're not going to be a single woman anymore. And you'll notice it's as to the Lord. So the, the wife is to order her life as wife to her husband because the Lord is using the husband to take care of her. He is, um, the husband is the Lord's mouth, the Lord's hands to take care of her, because he's the head, as Paul says in verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife. And that doesn't mean boss. It it means source or leadership. And so the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So a wife will order her life according to um, the word here uh, and submit to her husband, because the husband will be Christ, if you will, to her, he will lay down his life, if need be, for her, or, let's put it this way, he will live sacrificially, totally, for her. His, his life is all geared towards her. Now, that gets things started. Yeah. Um, now, if, if he is Christ to her, she's going to probably be the happiest woman in the world. That's right, and that's, <laughs> why, that's why Paul says, in everything, in right. verse 24, 
when when the woman knows and can trust her husband to be Christ for her, that is to live self-sacrificially and even die for her if need be, she will order her life in every way toward him as wife. And uh, let's let's back up the boat a little bit. The the, the pattern for the, that's given here in Ephesians five, of course, is Christ and his relationship to his bride, the church. Let's never forget that. Right. So you know when we go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis two, when God instituted marriage. There's this divine commentary in chapter 2, verse 24 in Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's the divine commentary on marriage. In other words, what God instituted in Genesis 2 in the very beginning, in the very good of creation, by the way, this is very good. So when a man and a woman get married today, this is very good in God's eyes. <laughs> so now we know it isn't very good, right? All right. right, right. But, but that's the pattern. And it's interesting, too. So Paul quotes that Genesis 2 text in Ephesians 5. Jesus himself does in Matthew's gospel and the parallel accounts when he speaks of marriage as well. So how do husbands and wives live towards each other? Well, they, the pattern's already set. Jesus gave himself up. For his bride, the church. And as we heard, we hear also in Ephesians 5, he sanctifies her, he cleanses her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then Paul says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, just like Christ loves his body, the church, his wife. So this is just magnificent. And I suppose we should say this too, Bill, that, you know, we as Americans, we think that uh, marriage is like a contract between two people. In other words, people think that marriage is something that they own, but they don't. It's a gift from the Lord. And so Christians, knowing this, will want to live in marriage according to God's word and use the gift of marriage properly. And as you know, you're married, right, Bill? Um, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. And, and those of us who are all married, we all know that it is the hardest work in the world. Why? Because you've got two sinners living together 24-7, 365. And you know, they get on each other's nerves, and you know what I'm saying. And, and, and so you have to work at this. You, ha- you have to confess your sins to one another, and you have to forgive each other. Oh, and this reminds me of something. You'll notice in the text that the verbs that apply to the women in Ephesians 5 are submit and respect. Respect is at the end of the passage, verse 33. Make sure, wives, that you respect your husband. Those are the the verbs that go with the wife. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that women are not, the wives are not to love their husbands. Of course they are, but I'm just talking about this particular text. So the verbs are submit and respect, and the verb, the main verb that goes with the husband in their relationship to the wife is love, the pattern set by our Lord Jesus Christ, giving himself to his bride, the church, in his Good Friday death, and so the husband is going to give himself self-sacrificially to his wife, and the wife then as the body of the marriage, the man the head, the wife is the body, the wife will then receive the husband's self-sacrificial love, just as the church does, receiving Christ's love for her. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a ton of sense, Brent. Just love it. Um, let me, uh, let me ask you, when, you know, when you preach from this text, I know that 
you are speaking right from the Word, and there's people who are going to hear this message, and they're going to be uncomfortable with it, and I'm going to ask you why. <laughs> because the old Adam doesn't like God's order. <laughs> okay. That, that, when I say old Adam as a Lutheran, I mean our old sinful nature, our sinful flesh. Well, we don't like God's order. Uh, our sinful flesh says, no, I'm going to live the way I want, and I'm going to make me, myself, and I king or queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are always wanting to be selfish. And so this passage is going to repent us. That is to say, this passage from Ephesians 5 is going to show us where we sin and where we fail in our marriages. And thanks be to God for that. Seriously. Because then we will learn to use Jesus properly. In what way? For the forgiveness of sins. And so there are, there are three important words in a marriage. It's, it's, it's table talk, it's pillow talk, it's wedding day talk, it's anniversary talk, it's I love you, or everyday talk. Mm-hmm. But there are three other most important words in a marriage, and that's I love you. And, and uh, pardon me, I, I forgive you. I misspoke there. I forgive okay. you. Yeah, forgive you. I was thinking you better say I love you. (laughs) The third thing to answer your question is, this text not only repents us, but it also faiths us in Jesus for forgiveness, but it also then leads us as Christians in the way that God wants us to live in holy marriage. And Brent, I like this idea that you don't take ownership in marriage as much as it is you understand this is a a sacred idea that God has given us. Correct. Am I saying that right? Yes, it's a gift. And again, to back up a little bit, Americans don't understand that. They, they see marriage as a contract. That's why you have prenups, etc. Yeah, yeah. And so if, if marriage belongs to you, then you can do anything you want with it. Good point. But Christians understand it differently. By the way, can I say something about the one flesh? Please. This is magnificent. And, and again, Americans don't understand this, so I hope this is edifying for, for, for folks who are listening. Um. When the scriptures say in Genesis 2, and when Jesus says it, and when Paul says it here in Ephesians 5, that the two become one flesh, this raises our humanity um, beyond just biology and bodily functions. Here's my point. The birds and the bees do it. Monkeys do it. (laughs) Dogs and cats do it. Remember, this is a a a family show, Brent, remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why I said do it. That's, <laughs> so a man and a woman, however, become one flesh. Yeah. And that's the honeymoon, folks. That's the honeymoon. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that happens in the bed underneath the sheets. Mm-hmm. Okay. And piggy, piggybacking on this, um, since I live in Nebraska, everybody comes to watch the Sandhill Cranes. And did you know that Sandhill Cranes mate for life? I they did do. not know that. So do beavers. So do uh, macaroni penguins, as do a lot of other animals. But a man uniquely becomes one flesh with a woman in marriage. And this is precisely um, why God has designed this this way, so that you, it, it's like a fence. God uses marriage and the estate of marriage like a protective fence to protect marriage and the man and the woman from any form of adulteration. That's why God gives a commandment. You shall not commit adultery. That is to say, God wants the husband and wife to lead a sexually pure and decent life in what they say and do, 
and that they will honor and that they will love each other and keep their wedding vows that they, that they said, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. All right, we're going to continue this discussion on marriage right out of Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles open, you can look from passages uh, 22 to 33. It's all in there. We're going to continue discussing this with Pastor Brent Kuhlman, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We'll be right back. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We're talking about that wonderful passage out of Ephesians chapter 5 on marriage. And uh, Brent, when you talk about this one flesh, I mean, this is the beautiful, it's emotional, spiritual, intellectual, financial, and in every other way. There's nothing quite like it, is there? It's, it is unique. Um, let me put it to you this way. Because of what God gave and did with Adam and Eve in the very beginning— this is why a man leaves his father and mother, joined to his wife in this wonderful, intimate union. Um, this one flesh union between a husband and wife, Bill, it is closer than any other bond that you have in this life, except for one thing. Did you hear me? Mm-hmm. Except for one thing, and that's our eternal union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's from this, uh, from that flows the entire heartbeat of a marriage, and that is the promise of fidelity to one another in which you get the wedding vows when you're in a wedding. And by the way, I have to say this because people ask this question to me all the time. Pastor, when I die, will I, will I marry in heaven? And we have to teach people that marriage is only for this life. It is not for the next life. And Jesus, of course, who is the expert on resurrection and eternal life, you remember, (laughs) he teaches in Luke 20 um, that the sons of this age, namely the people of this time on earth, marry and are given in marriage. But in the resurrection, he says, you neither marry nor are you given in marriage. I have to make that point very clear. And with all due respect then to our Mormon friends, and all the country western ditties and, and songs that we hear, <laughs> there are no eternal celestial marriages. There's just temporal, earthly ones, and, <laughs> and both of our feet are grounded on this earth then in this, uh, thing, this thing called marriage, which is really rough and tumble in yeah. this life. Yeah. Brent, because this is uh, an idea, a sacred idea of the Lord, uh, and he instituted it, is this one of the reasons why the enemy wants to attack it? Correct. Anything that God institutes that is, God, that is for our good, the devil wants to destroy. Mm-hmm. Boy, this, so, is, this is a biggie. Oh, absolutely. And it's foundational for everything uh, in society, uh, in the world. Family, husband and wife and family are foundational. And we are seeing the attack against the family in many ways. One, our old sinful nature that doesn't want to live that way. Two, the world and the devil. And the devil and the world, they, they kind of uh, hook up. 
they, they, they do a tag team, if you will. And we're witnessing it now with the BLM movement and uh, critical race theory, et cetera. All these Marxist organizations down in the United States, Planned Parenthood, it's all geared for what? The destruction of husband and wife, male and female, and the family that comes from it. And that, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Mm-hmm. And that's the devil at work. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised if there's uh, something that God deems holy uh, and righteous that the enemy would want to say, he didn't mean that. You, you should be able to do it your way. And right. people have come to understand that you know, what they understand marriage to be is not at all what the Bible says it is. So you want to you want to do things based on what you want to do. It's just human nature. And see, and see, thus Ephesians 5 teaches us that you don't live for yourself. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Those, those passages that I just quoted are not about you and your self-interest. It's about the other. And this is what it means to be a human being. To be a human being, according to the scripture, is a twofold shape. It's faith toward Jesus Christ, and then it's love for those with whom you live. And that's what marriage is all about. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and living for the sake of the other in your marriage. And when God gives you children, you take care of them for their sake, not your sake. Yeah. You're making a great point today, Brian. I mean, you're reminding us all that this life is not about us. It's about the Lord and how the Lord uses us as his hands and mouth for the sake of others. And this is totally, well, I, I'm, exa- I'm saying it too harshly when I say totally, but this, this, we're, this is being lost in the world as we are witnessing big time. And you know, let's not forget, Bill, that with the alphabet mafia, do you understand when I say the alphabet mafia? Mm. That's the LBGTQ. Okay, blah, 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 I was blah. guessing that's that was the alphabet been it. Yeah. mafia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, these, these folks, God bless them, but these folks, why do they attack what God has instituted for our good? Well, because they're against life. God gives life through a mother and a father, a husband and a wife. God does not give life through a male, male, female, female, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is the devil at work again. The devil always attacks God's gifts of life, physical life, temporal life, as well as eternal life. He's always attacking this stuff because, remember, Jesus calls him a murderer and a liar. And that's what we're witnessing in this, in this, in this world right now. Mm-hmm. So we have to be aware of this. We need to, if I may, Bill, we Christians who are married, and if you're not married, if you're not married, you need to live a chaste, celibate life. But those of you who are married, like me, we need to extol marriage in the way of faithfulness to our spouses and to our families so that it is attractive to people, attractive for our children and grandchildren, so that they will want to get married and live in the way that God intends us to in that relationship. Mm -hmm. Because it's the foundational building block of all society. Mm. Everything flows from this. That's why it's under attack. Yeah, that's a great point, Brent. And then when you become one flesh... And you take these vows to love, honor, and cherish. I, w- I would appreciate it if you would speak to uh, the believers who are listening, thinking, I wish my marriage was better. I'll, okay, good. I'm glad you asked that question. I'm gonna, this is what I'm about to say is going to blow everybody's minds. Uh, marriage is based upon fidelity. 
fidelity, not feelings. Did you hear what I said? I yeah, that's right. It's absolutely <laughs> true. Marriage is that's why you that's why you say the vows. Mm-hmm. Marriage is based upon fidelity, based upon God's word, by the way, and not feelings. And I would contend, Bill, that marital love that is spoken of here in Ephesians five, it comes as close as we get to that kind of love that the Bible calls agape love, which is an act of the will. It's voluntary love and it's on purpose love. Now, if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, this goes against all the romance novels and how we talk today, because everybody talks about, I fell in love. No, folks, falling is an out-of-control experience. We fall into ditches. We fall off ladders. (laughs) When I told Robin I loved her, it was not an out-of-control experience. Robin's my wife, by the way. When I told her I loved her, I meant it. It was an on-purpose act of my will. And God exhibits that agape love for us when he purposely chose to love us in this way. Even while we were ungodly and still sinners, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And this kind of love that in marriage says, I love you, honey, even when I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or even when you're not so lovely. <laughs> or not so, you know what I'm trying to say? And it goes vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 then that love is patient and kind. Yeah. Not jealous, etc. Mhm. And I I think the original Hebrew word for flesh uh is refers to way more than just a person's uh physical uh appearance or you know, sexual composition. It's the whole enchilada of the person. Right, right. Mind, yeah. body, the whole enchilada. That's why the wedding service you know talks about love fidelity is is not well, in all three of these ways, mind, body, spirit, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So just got a nice um, text from someone saying, uh, preach, exclamation mark. So you've done a nice job today, Brent. Good. So you folks, you who are married, marital love says, I'm going to stick with it. What? Better for worse, yeah. for richer for poorer, but, in sickness or in hell. Yeah. But what if there's abuse or things like that? Well, then then you can you can leave that. Yeah. Yeah, but you're going to try and get help. Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah, now, it's tough. Well, that, that raises a whole other issue. I don't know. Do we have time to talk about those things? No, we've got about 45 seconds. Ah, uh, well, maybe you should have me on another time. But I guess finally, you know, I'm going to tell you one thing just to have fun here, to both of you say goodbye if I may. There was a really old astute man one time who told me, he said, you know what, Brent? If you want to stay married... Don't get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so when you stay with it, then you're determined to love each other, come thick or thin. Yeah. Thanks so much, Brent, for being Thanks. on the program today. Delight having you. Thank you. Yep. Pastor Brent Kuhlman has been my guest, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We'll take a little break. We're going to continue our discussion on finishing well. We started it yesterday with Marcus Bachman. I wanted to have uh, part two today with Bev Canaris. She's going to be in studio in just a minute. Be right back.
You know, yesterday we talked uh, about finishing well with Dr. Marcus Bachman, and I've, I've wanted to keep this discussion going, and today's going to be a great opportunity. Beverly Canaris is my guest. She is here with me in studio. She was a Bible study fellowship teacher for 30-plus years and loves to teach and mentor, and uh, always a delight to have her in. And, Bev, I'm so excited that we're going to continue this discussion. Interesting of the timing of this, that you would have this topic yesterday and now today. So um, that's how the Spirit works, isn't of it? How, know, yeah. how He moves yeah. uh, in this. I just, have you ever had the experience, Bill, where you've been reading the Bible and you're just stopped? You almost get goosebumps as you read it. It just, this I was reading and it just sent chills down my spine. I was reading in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. You know, you can kind of get a little bored in there because all these names and then he was a bad king, a good king. Um, but boy, was I sitting up straight after I started reading this portion of God's word. It describes the lives and the reigns of Israel and Judah, the reigns of the kings. And it's so sobering when you look to see how many are described as doing evil in the Lord's eyes. Some started awful and ended well, but the majority ended poorly, not following the Lord. Well, each king really had their own little unique story as to whys, the whys of how they finished. I have wondered about my own life and how I'm going to finish, Bill. I think of that often. I, what am I, am I going to just run out of steam here at the end? Am I going to um, uh, stay motivated to keep serving the Lord, keep sharing the gospel? Or am I going to just sit back and say, it's my time now for retirement? You know, we all have those choices to make. And so understanding if we're, uh, we really need to be committed to this idea of finishing well. I was having a conversation with a much younger person uh, the other day, and uh, he asked me, why aren't you older people? I wasn't offended. <laughs> uh, why aren't you older people mentoring us ones who are younger in the yard? In the Lord, we are longing for your input. We don't know what to do. Wow. Um, and he was just really getting on me why this isn't happening, uh, you know, more than it should be. And I tried to explain to him kind of how you can start to think. You can start to think, well, I'm just going to be a little more self-focused. You know, I deserve uh, this kind of retirement, laying back. Um, you know, I did all that teaching or all that serving or mentoring earlier in my life, and it's time for the younger people to pick that up now. Um, I'm going to seek a peaceful life here, free from responsi responsibility. You know, many have served so hard and so long, they want others to step up. But is that finishing well? Is it? You know, whatever energies I have, now ministry may change as I age, but I would hope that whatever energies I do have, that I will continue serving to the very end. I keep three obituaries, you can see how yellowed they are, oh, wow. in my Bible. Okay. And this is a reminder to me to finish well. One is Bob Glockner. Did knew, you know Bob? I knew Bob, yeah. Yeah, many people in the Twin yeah. Cities knew Bob Glockner. Yeah. Quite a man. It reads here that... At 18, after re making a commitment to Jesus Christ, his passion for spreading the good news about Jesus led him to a lifetime of Christian ministry and service. And it goes on to tell all the different areas where he served. And I happen to know that he had memory issues at the end and was being cared for. And he was sharing the gospel and quoting scripture 
even though he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. But that did not go away. Isn't that beautiful? That's fantastic. And then one of my favorite, Hulda. Hulda Stahl. Nice. Hulda Stahl. Did you know her? I did not. Okay. I cut this out of the paper up at our cabin. I love it. I love the picture, too. It's just everybody's grandma, you know? But anyway, they describe her here. The kids are writing six sons. She says, our mother was a lifelong student and teacher of the Bible. She's taught Sunday school for as long as we can remember, as long as she was able. She was the junior school superintendent, planned the annual Christmas program for most of our growing up years. She ministered to college and career youth, writing handwritten letters and our daily devotional to them. She was a regular participant in neighborhood Stonecroft Bible studies. Our mother had a passion to spread the gospel around the world and often hosted missionaries in our home. She prayed for all 63 of us by name at least once a day, and her prayer life included go on and on. Wow. So that's Hulda. Then we have Renald Norling. And Renald uh, retired at the age of 62 with a pension of $25 a month. After their family was grown, they opened their home and hearts to many foster children. After retiring, let's see, then goes on. The important part of Renal's life was his personal relationship with Jesus. He read the Bible daily, spent much time in prayer. He was an inspiration to everyone he met, including the last four years sharing his faith at the nursing home. Mm. These are people, Bill, that finished well, modern day heroes. But when I look at the Old Testament here and I look at so many of these kings, I can see that for many of us, we struggle to finish well. And so would you mind if I just would take a peek into a few of these kings' lives and we can really see what tripped him up at the end? Okay. What was it? Okay. Uh, Well, the first example is from 2 Chronicles and also from Kings. It's the story of Asa. Asa was the king of Abijah. Abijah was a godly king, but Asa kind of went the other way. Um, He did what was good and right in the eyes of his Lord in his early 10 years. Even one of his prayers is recorded, and it reveals like a dependence and a worship of God. Um, but And Asa led reforms in the sanctuary. Um, it says here that he sought the Lord, and yet we get to the description of Asa's last years in First Chronicles 16. After reigning 36 years, committed to the Lord, everything up until that point. And then Asa goes to war against his enemies and makes a treaty with these enemies to help him. And a seer or a prophet came to him and said, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, now you will be at war. Well, Asa's furious with this. Um, He was so enraged, he put the prophet in prison and brutally oppressed his own people. The prophet had warned Asa that his rebellion would lead to strife and a terrible death. And you know what we read about Asa at the end of his life? Hmm. There he was bitter and angry. He was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only his physicians. Hmm. Direct quote from scripture. Wow. Wow. 36 years following the Lord. Hmm. Hey, what happened here? He was on such a good path. I believe in his pride of success, he acted in self-sufficient strength, and that's a major reason why he didn't finish well. And we can begin to think like that, too, that it's all about us. It's about what we did, what we accomplished. We start to take the credit for God's empowerment in our lives. 
We can, at this t- point, we could, we could turn to other things or other people instead of turning to God just because of that pride. Another lesson here is, um, as we discuss finishing well, is when things do not go our way, we write God off. We're angry, right? We blame him and then disassociate and perhaps even become hostile, not only to God, but to God's people. So how do we look at our lives when we think of Asa? Well, we must ask ourselves some hard questions. Am I starting to act in my own strength and not seek the Lord for what I need every day? Daily dependence. Yes, 36 years. However, he abandoned God in these later years. Second, where might I be blaming God for things not going my way or blaming him for the consequences of my own sin? Those are things that can cause people not to finish well. Well, another Old Testament king was King Joash. His background is found in 2 Kings 11 and 12. His life was a miracle. He was rescued from his grandmother, believe it or not, Athaliah, as she was killing off the entire royal family so that she could rule. But they hid Joash away, and the priest and his wife raised Joash. Well, Joash became a, a wonderful, godly king. He, he repairs the temple. However... After the death of Jehoiadiah, the priest who saved his life and helped him seek the Lord in those early years, Joash goes off the rails. He forsakes the Lord. Now, there is a prophet. In fact, it was Jehoiadiah's son, Zechariah, comes to Joash, who confronts him that he has forsaken the Lord. Joash had him stoned. Zechariah, the son of the very priest, Jehoiadiah, who had saved the king's life. As Zechariah was being stoned, he said to King Joash, May the Lord see this and call you to account. Because he had forsaken the Lord, it says Joash is wounded in battle and then killed by his own officials for his murder of Jehoiadiah's son, Zechariah. Oh, wow, what happened here? Hmm. How can we even relate to this? What are the truths that we can take away from this and apply them to our own life to finish well? Well, first of all, our faith needs to be our own. I feel here that um, Joash, he had a faith as long as his mentor, as long as his priest was around, he was doing what he should be doing. Um, so it really wasn't his own. You know, and we have to ask ourselves, do will you have a real faith of your own and not borrowed from someone else? Because if it's a genuine faith, it is going to last. When our spiritual mentors are not looking, will we betray the faith that we claim? Some people lead double lives, and leading a double life will never help you to finish strong. And I see a second hindrance here in his life as well, in Joash. Um, There was a lack of gratefulness and loyalty for Jehoiadiah the priest by killing his son for a message Joash didn't want to hear. Can you imagine? He's so angry with the truth that he kills because of it. When truth hurts, we often want to silence the messenger. Now, this was anger. This was um, a not a true faith, perhaps. And often the reason we don't finish well is unresolved anger, unforgiveness, um, bitterness in our, in our hearts can cause us to do things to not to finish well. I do see really here, though, a picture of Jesus Christ, God's one and only son here. You know, the religious leaders called for the crucifixion of Christ. They, too, wanted to uh, maintain their power. But Christ rose again. And he now will be the judge. To those who receive him, he gives eternal life. To those who reject Christ, they stand condemned in their unforgiving sin. 
All right, let's go on to one more king here in the Old Testament. Then we'll move on to some New Testament examples. Then there's King Uzziah, who had a great start, and God really blessed him. Listen to this verse. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. So do you see a trend here, Bill, with these guys? Mm -hmm. A lot of it is ego and Mm -hmm. pride. Uh, it starts to take over their success. It all of a sudden becomes about them, and they're not um, giving the glory to where glory's due to the Lord. Mm-hmm. What he did here, Uzziah entered the temple and was going to offer incense. That was only for priests to do. But he tries to do it, and of course we know what happens to him. He breaks out in leprosy. God judges him right on the spot. Success can cause us to not finish strong. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Success. Too much success can be intoxicating, and it can cause us to be very self-focused and prideful. We think we're greater than we are. Pride really turns us into a fool who will not finish well. Well, we could talk about Josiah, a good king who trusts in the Lord his entire life. We could talk about David, who was the second king of Israel who sought the Lord but sinned with adultery and then tried to cover it up with murder. What's the difference here? You see, the difference is we see that David repented, and so he finishes well. Repentance is the way back to finishing well. That's the way back. If you've made it, you've blown it, you've had some big mistakes, you've forsook the Lord, whatever it is, repentance, when you ask for forgiveness and you really want to change that, you seek the Lord in that, That's the way back that you can start a new road, a new beginning on finishing well. And certainly King David demonstrates that. Yeah, that's a wonderful encouragement. And I know many are thinking, yep, I need to repent. Yes, it's a fresh start. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. Towards a good ending. Yeah. We're going to continue this discussion with Beverly Canaris on finishing well in just a minute. So glad to have her with us. She has been a Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years and love to teach God's Word and mentor. And um, we're going to continue when we come back on Finishing Well. Be right back. topic, Finishing Well. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're looking at some amazing illustrations in Scripture from the Old Testament. Do we have time to move on to the New Testament, Bev? We do. I've got a few examples there as well. In fact, the Bible is just filled with examples. We could talk about this for several hours. Well, let's first go to... It's a show, though. I I know. Yeah. I know. I have some limitations. Yes, I know. I'm watching the clock with you there. Uh, Let's go to Peter. Most people understand Peter's story. He denied Christ three times. But before that, he told Christ, everybody else may deny you, but surely I won't. Peter had overconfidence. Um, 
We're seeing a pattern here, aren't we? The overconfidence, the pride that can, pride goes before a fall. Truly, we see this in the Old Testament kings. We see it here in Peter. But Peter, what's the difference here? He does finish well. Peter, like David, through repentance, finished well. He was restored to the mm-hmm. Lord, restored in his relationship, and he finished well. So that should be very encouraging to our listeners. It certainly is to me. And then we have Thomas, uh, a disciple of Jesus. He was absent when the resurrected Lord first appeared to the disciples. And so he said, unless he sees with his own eyes and touches Christ's wounds, he would not believe. Now, Christ appears and he rebukes um, Thomas somewhat here when he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But he did have Thomas touch his wounds. He saw for himself. Thomas too repents as he falls to his knees. I picture him falling to his knees anyway, and makes the greatest confession of faith up to this point when he responds, my Lord and my God. So there was an example of he didn't start well, but he finished well. Now, Thomas was a skeptic, and some skeptics remain a skeptic and so do not finish well. You know the type. They never have enough evidence. Mm -hmm. And everybody's giving them a book or encouraging them with this or with that, and there's just never enough evidence. They remain in their sin, and the judgment of God also remains on them. This is not finishing well. A skeptic, they have to move from skepticism... It's all right to have some skepticism, to have some doubts, but then you are not meant to stay there. You are meant to move out of your doubts, out of your skepticism, and into faith. Now, the Apostle Paul was also, uh, had a really rough beginning, but he finished well. He was a persecutor of the faith. He was chasing down Christians all over the area. He was putting them in prison. He held everybody's coats while they stoned Stephen. Then he was on his way to do some more damage to God's people when he was knocked off his high horse as Christ came to him and called him to get up. He blinded him for a short time and to get up and to serve him then for the rest of his life. In fact, some words spoken about him at that time of his conversion was, um, go to Paul, Ananias, and put your hands on those blind eyes. He does not yet know how much he's got to suffer for me. Wow. And he's, he was called to be um, a very unique minister. He was called to take the gospel out to the, the Gentiles. Paul finishes well, even though he was headed in the exact opposite direction at, you know, a major point of his life. As a young adult, maybe he was probably in his 20s to 30s. Um, listen to these very encouraging verses that he wrote. Remember, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Is that a great verse that can help us finish well? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, here the author is unknown, but it sounds like Paul. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Run with perseverance. True faith lasts till the end. So, I mean, I think that idea of perseverance 
persevering in our faith to the end, doing what we can as long as we can, and taking that gospel out, staying on point with the Great Commission is such an important part of finishing well. I think these verses are so encouraging uh, as, as you read them that we really want to have that perseverance. We want to finish the race. We want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So when we start to feel lazy, Bill, as we age, I'm talking to myself here, I want to make sure that I am um, not going to let that happen, that I've really committed to myself that as long as I have breath, I'm going to use it for the Lord, even if it is breath that I can only pray. And when I say only pray, I think, wow, what a powerful ministry that is just to be able to pray. Maybe I couldn't go or drive or teach a class, but I can pray. So hopefully that is going to be what reads in my obituary was that she continued to teach the Word of God as long as she could. So what are some tips for finishing well? Well, first of all, you have to ask the Lord to help you persevere. You can't do that in your own strength. He is the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. Um, Two, Give daily attention to the Word of God, the Bible, and to prayer. You have to stay in relationship with Him, and this is how we do it. This is what keeps my eyes focused on Him, keeps me motivated to share His truth, Uh, and then the prayer that gives me the power to share it with others, that holds others up, that prayer that is helping to make the new generation coming into a very productive life for the Lord. Be on guard for pride and self-sufficiency. As I look at the lives of these kings, that really is my takeaway. Pride and self-sufficiency will help will cause us not to finish well. Another tip for obey God. Obey God as we love him. That's a step of obedience is loving him and loving others and serving others sacrificially. Fifth, Have people in your life to help you stay accountable. Don't we need each other? I find I have this small group. We call ourselves the prayer group. And these other five women, we help to hold each other accountable. Uh, We listen to each other. We study together. And that's a great help. And I I really think my husband and I myself, uh, we, we urge each other on to serve the Lord and care for other people. And remember... If you have you feel like you've blown it, like you are you were not finishing well, you're on a path right now where you're not going to finish well. Repentance is the way back to finishing well. Repentance means turning around and going in the other direction. God can help you do that. You know, fall on your knees, tell him I've really messed up here. I'm off the rails. I want to get back into this life of serving and loving you and so I can get back to finishing well. Remember, if you feel you've blown it, there's repentance. Next, check your heart for any unforgiveness, anger, bitterness that's unresolved. Life's too short. Do you really want to face Jesus with those kinds of things in your heart? He's going to see everything in us. He sees it all now, but that's not the way to finish well. The way to finish well is to have peace with others, I remember an older gentleman who I served the Lord with, he, he said to me, he gave me a call when he was dying, and he wanted to ask for forgiveness for something where we had a disagreement. 
And finally, Ephesians 5, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Great study, Bev. Thanks, Bill. It's been a wonderful... Sobering. Uh, yeah, it's very sobering. And I, I always believe that you want to have these thoughts as early in life as possible. Absolutely. You want to start with the end in mind. Right. When I get to the end of my life, what will I want to have done and how will I have wanted to live my life? Yeah. So if you're in your 30s listening to this program today... You want, to, you want to be thinking about this very seriously. This yeah. is not a message for the older people. No, it's not. Decide now how you want to finish. Yeah. You know, they say before you start a project. Start with the end in mind. Right. Yep. There you go. Yep. That's key. Always important to uh, be reminded that uh, God's got a great plan for your life. And also, if you have someone that you need to get forgiveness from or you need to ask someone to uh, make amends in any way, do it sooner than later. Don't... Uh, don't put it on your list of things at the end of your life you hope to get done. You may not have time. You may not have time. Exactly. Bev, thanks so much. Beverly Canaris has been my guest. And we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to hear, again, a spectacular hour with Dr. Tim Walsh. When we were talking about what happens during the, the pandemic, what, what happened to us, and how do we take healing, proactive steps moving forward? Uh, we had so many requests for that uh, message that I wanted you to hear it again. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.